Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Camping, hunting, hiking. All things that are synonymous with the woods. The isolated cabin in the woods brings up images of horror movie staples, such as Friday the 13th. The woods are a quiet, dark, peaceful and mysterious place where you can relax and forget about your problems. Or can you? What is lurking behind that tree? What was that sound? The woods can also be a haunting setting because you never know what is beyond what you can see. Wooded Mysteries this week are mysteriously listed. Number 3. Tina Herman, Cody Maynard and Stephanie Sprang. November 11, 2010, Knox County, Ohio. Valerie Haythorn called 911 to report a bloody scene at the home of one of her employees. 32-year-old Tina Herman had not shown up for work and she was not answering her calls. This was out of character for Tina not to come to work. She loved her job and the people there. Just as concerning, Tina's 13-year-old daughter Sarah Maynard and 11-year-old son Cody Maynard were also not answering the door, despite the lights being left on in the house and Tina's jeep still being in the driveway. Knowing something was wrong, Valerie told the 911 dispatcher she had crawled through the kitchen window, only to find substantial amounts of blood in the living room and two of the bedrooms. A report would come in soon after, reporting Tina's next-door neighbour, 41-year-old Stephanie Sprung, also missing. Police went and immediately processed the crime scene. Tina's boyfriend would report to police that in the months before she went missing, Tina suspected someone was watching them, that she saw a man dressed in camouflage sitting on the tree stump across the street from her home, that he would stare at the house for hours, that there would be knocks at the front door, but when Tina answered, no one would be there. It wouldn't be long before police had their suspect, 30-year-old unemployed tree trimmer Matthew Hoffman. Police suspicions were first aroused when Hoffman was questioned why he was sitting in his car in front of the Herman home, despite not living in the area. Hoffman had a sordid past. He was charged in 2001 for arson after setting fire to a Colorado townhouse to cover a burglary. He would spend six years in prison for his crimes before moving to Ohio in 2007 to live close to his parents. October 24, 2010, according to police reports, a former girlfriend of Hoffman claimed he choked her and pushed her against the wall, pinging her neck with his forearm during an argument. The woman claimed she thought Hoffman was going to kill her. Unfortunately, she did not press charges and Hoffman was released from police custody. 
Investigators also discovered a Walmart CCTV tape showing Hoffman buying trash bags and tarpaulins the day Tina, her children and Stephanie disappeared. Hoffman's neighbours stated that they were scared of him, that he would collect bag after bag of leaves on walks through the park. And when he wasn't doing that, he would sit up high in the trees and watch people as they passed by. Hoffman would be questioned and his home searched on November 14, 2010. Inside, police were horrified at what they saw. They found mounds of leaves throughout his living room. The piles were so high, the police feared that bodies were hidden underneath them. The bathroom walls were lined with more than 100 grocery bags filled with leaves and stapled in neat rows. His freezer only contained red popsicles and the dead bodies of two squirrels. It was what they found in the basement, though, that police would be disturbed the most. Bound and gagged with duct tape to a makeshift bed of leaves was 13-year-old Sarah Maynard. Hoffman would later claim he let Sarah play Wii video games and that the two watched Iron Man movies together. He even claimed to have cooked her hamburgers and slept with his arms around her. In reality, though, Sarah had been viciously sexually assaulted numerous times over the four days she was held captive. It was at this point authorities conceded that the others were most likely dead. Police told Hoffman that unless he told them the whole story and where to find the rest of the family, that he would face the death penalty. Hoffman would then show officers where he stashed the bodies of Stephanie, Tina and her son Cody. He would lead them to a hollowed 60-foot tree in the Kokosking Lake State area near Fredericktown. Hoffman would tell officers that after killing his victims, he dismembered them and placed them in garbage bags. Then using a rig and pulley system, he hid their remains in the base of the hollowed trunk. Police requiring to remove sections of the tree to retrieve the bodies. In the tree, they also found little Tanner, the family's puppy. Due to the state of his home, his actions leading up to the murders and the crime itself, police did consider that Hoffman was not mentally capable to understand the actions of what he had done. But he was determined to be medically sane, and on January 6, 2011, Hoffman pleaded guilty to 10 felonies, including aggravated murder and rape. As part of his guilty plea, he would write a four-page confession detailing his crimes. November 9, 2010. After watching the house for several days, Hoffman slept in his sleeping bag across the street from the Herman home, with the intentions of robbing it the next day. Sometime after 9am, Tina left her home to take her children, Sarah and Cody, to school. Hoffman made his way across the street and slipped under the garage door, which had not fully closed. After about an hour of not finding anything valuable and worth stealing, he was about to leave the property. This was when Tina returned home. After hiding in the bedroom, Hoffman confronted Tina with a blackjack and a knife he had brought with him for, quote, a certain amount of intimidation, unquote. After knocking Tina onto the bed, he hit her over the head with the blackjack, quote, I hit her a couple of times in the head, but this would not knock her out. It was not doing the job and I started panicking, unquote. 
It was at this point neighbour Stephanie Sprang went to investigate the strange noises and walked into the gruesome scene. Quote, I have no idea when she got there, what she was doing there and how she gained access. The other woman yelled at me. There was now two to deal with and I didn't know what to do. Unquote. Hoffman then stabbed Tina through her back twice, before chasing Stephanie into another room and stabbing her several times in the chest. Both Tina and Stephanie were dead. Quote, At this time, I was in a total state of shock. I wandered around the house slowly, coming to the realisation of what I had done and how bad it was. Unquote. Tanner, the family dog, forever the protector, barked at Hoffman. He killed the dog to stop bringing further attention upon the house. It was at this point he was deciding what to do with the bodies, whether it was burning the house down or disposing of the bodies in a nearby pond. Unfortunately, it was at this time 13-year-old Sarah and 11-year-old Cody came home from school. Sarah ran straight and hid in her room. Little Cody was stabbed before he had a chance to defend himself, several times in the chest. But it was when he came face to face with Sarah, he decided in that moment he could not kill her. Instead, Hoffman took the girl back to the dark basement of his home, where he kept her hands and feet tied with duct tape and forced her to sleep on a bed full of leaves, sexually assaulting her numerous times. For the murders of Tina Herman, Cody Maynard and Stephanie Sprang, and for the kidnapping, aggravated assault and rape of Sarah Maynard, Michael Hoffman was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. At the sentencing, Hoffman gave a statement, never saying he was sorry or asking for forgiveness. Quote, I did not enter the house to kill those people. I did not know a single one of them. I did not know their names. And I did not know who lived at the house. I did not plan for any of this to happen. Unquote. The hollowed tree was soon cut down after the bodies were found, out of respect for the families, so it would not become a sight-seeing spectacle. Knox County Mayor J.F. Ogle would state, quote, Knox County is one of the warmest, kindest and most beautiful communities I have ever witnessed, and I firmly believe that no one person can ever steal that away from us, unquote. For the record, Cody and Sarah's father, Larry Maynard, does not believe Hoffman's story that it was a robbery gone wrong. Sarah is now back at school and working with therapists to handle the tragedy. Quote, A thief steals and a murderer kills. He's just a monster. He's the closest thing to the devil I've ever seen. Unquote. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Number 2. Bella in the Witch Elm April 18, 1943, in the West Midlands of England. Four boys, Robert Hart, Tommy Willits, Bob Farmer and Fred Payne, 
and looking for eggs inside of birds' nests when they stumbled across an old elm tree. One of the boys climbed in and noticed that the trunk was hollow. Inside, he could vaguely make out what he believed to be the skull of an animal. Boys being boys, they retrieved the skull and were shocked to learn it belonged to a human. It still had hair attached to it, but was completely skeletonized besides that. Since Hagley Woods was private property, the boys were afraid there would be repercussions for being there illegally. So Bob Farmer, the eldest of the boys, Bob stuffed the skull back in the tree and the boys fled. However, the youngest of the group, Tommy Willits, he was too upset by the discovery to keep it to himself. He went home and confessed to his parents about the skull they had found in the old witch elm tree. Police would ascend onto the scene to investigate. They discovered that a human skeleton had been lodged into the elm. It was so deeply embedded into the trunk that the tree had to be cut down in order to extract the bones. Also found was a single shoe, rotted pieces of clothing and a gold wedding ring. Curiously, the skeleton was not complete. It was missing a hand. When the police combed the area, they found it buried next to the tree. The remains are examined by Professor James Webster, a forensic scientist at the University of Birmingham. He concluded the bones belonged to a woman between 30 and 45 years old, that she was around 5 foot tall and had given birth to at least one child. She had been dead for 18 months at the time of her discovery. This would place her time of death to be before October 1941. He determined she would have to have been placed in the tree soon after she was killed, because she would never have fit if rigor mortis had set in. The police tried to identify the woman but had no luck, and unfortunately no one came forward to claim her. Her murder had occurred during World War II, and the records of missing people were just too vast in number to go through. We are talking about a time before computers, so these records would have had to have been gone through by hand. In December 1943, a few months after the body had been found, graffiti appeared on walls around the West Midlands. It read, Who put Bella in the witch elm? Police determined that the same person had written each piece of graffiti. They searched their records for any missing woman by the name of Bella or Lou Bella, but found nothing. It wasn't long before the case went cold. Theories as to what happened to Bella have been widely debated over the decades that followed. Some people believed she was the victim of an occult murder. Archaeologist Margaret Murray started this theory. She believed Bella to be executed by witches during an occult ceremony – that they had cut off Bella's hand to be used as a talisman called the Hand of Glory. This is a candle made out of a dismembered hand that could lead people to buried treasure. However, the problem with this theory is for the talisman to work, it had to come from a hand of someone who had been hanged. There is no evidence this was the case with Bella. Others believe Bella's death to be accidental. In 1953, Una Mossop wrote a letter to a newspaper claiming that her cousin Jack and his friend were responsible for putting Bella in the tree. That Jack and his friend had been out drinking with a Dutch woman at a pub, the Littleton Arms. The Dutch woman had had too much to drink and passed out while they were driving away from the pub, 
and they placed her in the hollow of the tree with the hopes she would wake up in the morning and be so frightened that she would never get that drunk again. They never thought she would die there. As unlikely as this story does sound, Jack Mossop was committed to an insane asylum shortly after this incident allegedly occurred. He would say he was haunted by an image of a woman leering at him from a tree. Jack would die in the asylum before Bella's remains were found. But what makes this story improbable is that Una did not come forward until 10 years after Jack's death. Because of this reason, people have questioned how valid her story really is. Some even believe there were political motives involved, that possibly Bella was a spy. In 1941, Joseph Jacobs, a Gestapo agent, was captured in Cambridgeshire. He carried with him a photo of a woman he claimed to be a cabaret singer known only as Clara. Clara had been recruited by the Nazis because she could speak English. She was to parachute into the West Midlands to act as a spy. He said he did not know what happened to Clara after this because he was captured before he could make contact with her. Jacobs was held in the Tower of London and eventually executed by firing squad. While many believe this to be the most likely story to explain how Bella ended up in the witch helm and she is actually Clara, it is highly unlikely if this is the case. The most obvious is that the woman in the photo was much taller than five foot. There was also no parachute found and no other clue that the woman had come from Germany. Being that she was a spy, if she was captured by enemy forces, it would be much more likely she would have been executed or imprisoned and not stuffed in a tree. This story has a very haunting ending that may offer small clues about her possible identity. In the late 1940s, Bella's remains would mysteriously disappear from the University of Birmingham's medical centre. They have never been found. So the question still remains, who put Bella in the witch elm? Number one, Japan's suicide forest. Aokikahara sits at the foot of Mount Fuji. This beautiful landscape has become so synonymous as a place for depressed people to end their lives that police officers have put up signs. These signs urge visitors to think about their families and includes contact details for a suicide prevention organisation. Quote, Your life is a precious gift from your parents. Please think about your parents, siblings and children. Don't keep it to yourself. Talk about your troubles. Unquote. Unfortunately, there is plenty of chilling evidence to show that the signs do little to deter people from suiciding in the infamous forest. Stray shoes, discarded backpacks, photos and other possessions are seen amongst the tree roots, as well as nooses still hanging from trees and grim goodbye notes pinned to the trunks. But some are also apparently hesitant to make this their final journey. Tape and string can also be seen tied to trees, in a possible effort to make sure they can find their way back to a path should they change their mind. Japan has a per capita suicide rate that's amongst the highest in the world, with more than 21,000 occurring each year. Because of this, officials in Japan are trying to decrease Aokikahara's association with suicide by not making public the suicide figures. 
so it's not exactly clear how many people have suicided in the forest, but it is thought to be more than 200 people in the past 10 years. Our Kekahara is known by locals the Sea of Trees. This suggests the seclusion of the forest to be one of the reasons why so many people choose to end their lives there. Getting lost here is very easy, but coming out is near impossible due to just how dense the forest is. All the modern technologies and devices that we rely on to find our way, like compasses and mobile phones, they don't work here due to rich deposits of magnetic ions created by volcanic soil in the region. Compasses behave weirdly and show wrong directions while mobile phones don't receive signals. The forest is reputed to be home of Yuri. According to Japanese mythology, Yuri means ghosts of the dead. Most of the Japanese spiritualists believe that these suicides have permitted trees, which in return have given birth to paranormal activities. According to the legend, the bodies of the people who commit suicide must not be left alone in the jungle, so forest workers bring them out and these corpses are kept in a special room in the local forest police station. It is done because people believe that it's bad luck for the suicide victims, that their spirits cry and scream and cannot rest until they are removed from the forest. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.